The gospel reading for this morning comes from Matthew's gospel, beginning in the 11th chapter at the second verse. And Matthew wrote these things. John, meanwhile, had been locked up in prison. And when he got wind of what Jesus was doing, he sent his own disciples to ask, Are you the one we've been expecting, or are we still waiting? And Jesus told them, Go back and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. Is this what you were expecting? Then count yourselves most blessed. When John's disciples left to report, Jesus started talking to the crowd about John. What did you expect when you went out to see him in the wild? A weekend camper? Hardly. What then? A sheik in silk pajamas? Not in the wilderness, not by a long shot. What then? A prophet? That's right, a prophet. Probably the best prophet you'll ever hear. He is the prophet that Malachi announced when he wrote, I'm sending my prophet ahead of you to make the road smooth for you. Let me tell you what's going on here. No one in history surpasses John the baptizer. But in the kingdom he prepared you for, the lowliest person is ahead of him. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, we are frightened of the dark, so don't leave us in the darkness. We stumble, lose our way, can't see others or even ourselves in the dark. So, Lord, shine in our world and be bright in our lives. Beam into the darkened corners of our souls and give us light, give us hope, give us life. Lord, we're here this day to worship you, drawn to your light. So please, don't leave us in the dark. Shine. Amen. It is a classic tale. Good versus evil. The powers of darkness versus the powers of light. The virtuous versus the corrupt. It is the sword and the stone, and the cartoon battle between the apparently befuddled old Merlin and the purple wickedness of the marvelous Mad Mim. In case you haven't seen it, or perhaps have forgotten, let me take a moment to just refresh your memory. Now Merlin and Mim are fighting it out because Mim wants to eat Merlin's student none other than the young King Arthur. And obviously a lot is at stake. The witch and the wizard, they agree to certain terms before their battle, pledging, among other things, that neither of them will turn into a purple-spotted, fire-breathing dragon or turn invisible altogether. But as the contest heats up, the wicked Mim cheats and turns herself into the fire-breathing dragon she had promised not to become. 
And she explains it away by claiming she is just a plain old fire-breathing dragon, which she never promised anything about. And just as Mim is about to incinerate the hapless Mer Merlin, he apparently disappears. So enraged, the dragon Mim accuses Merlin of breaking their rules by becoming invisible. And the magician's seemingly disembodied voice floats back to Mim and announces, I am not gone, and I am not invisible. I am a germ. A germ. In fact, Merlin has transformed himself into a very specific and quite potent dragon virus, which immediately reduces the dragon Mim into a pathetically sneezing, coughing, broken out in spots, bedridden mess. And Merlin triumphs by using his brains and by dramatically demonstrating that size doesn't matter. Now John the Baptist, you see, has been serving time in prison when we read of him this morning. His brilliant prophetic career has come to a bitter and disappointing end. His crime, you see, had been to criticize the morals of the ruler of Galilee, Herod Antipas. He had seduced and then married his niece Herodias, who was the wife of his brother Philip. John harshly criticized the marriage, charging that it violated the law of Moses, which stated that it was unlawful to marry the wife of one's brother. As he sat in prison awaiting his fate, John no doubt began to wonder what in the world is going on. Because surely things had not gone according to his plans and expectations. You see, John was the prophet appointed by God to announce the coming of the Messiah. And the Baptist had pleaded with people to change their lives and to prepare themselves for the coming of the kingdom and for the coming of this Savior. However, Jesus had not brought the expected results. The new kingdom, you see, as John envisioned it, had not arrived. So John wanted to know if Jesus was indeed who he said he was. And as John waited in prison, he heard news of what Jesus was doing. So John sent his followers to Jesus to just ask him this question. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to await another? You see, the germ of the idea had seemed not to take root. For John was expecting a violent cleansing and coming of the kingdom. Something that he told other people involved axes at the root of trees, a bit of burning, and judgment. But Jesus had been expressing a coming of the kingdom where violence is something that was suffered, not done to people. John's real complaint, I think, is that Jesus' kingdom would not save John. And Jesus' reply is that John is indeed suffering for the kingdom, and that in this suffering is salvation. And that suffering of the kingdom 
is from John the Baptist's time up until now. Because those who work for the kingdom suffer violence. And we are meant to be folk who live like John and Jesus. Not violent bringers of judgment. But people who in suffering violence show the lies of violence and know that it has nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven. Now unfortunately the story didn't pan out the way that John and the other Israelites had hoped. The road I think was much harder than any of them could possibly have imagined. And in spite of the fact that Jesus designated John as the Elijah who was to come, seemingly also saying that he was the Messiah, by all earthly standards, it would seem that they were wrong. Because John got beheaded, Jesus was crucified, the zealots lost their revolt against Rome, and the temple, you see, was utterly destroyed. And those who believed that the one who was to come would be a triumphant and glorious king that would overthrow the existing regime and set things right through a new government, those folks were in for a disappointing paradigm shift. Now, if we measure triumph and success by the standards of the world, by the standards of empire, we almost certainly miss Jesus' meaning when he declared that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Because the kingdom of God that Jesus describes is not spread through domination and political leaders but through the slow transformation of the world from the bottom up. Through acts of love and healing that spread across space and time. And folks, when we begin to lose our faith in this transformation, we need to be reminded just of all the good things that have happened so far. Just as Jesus reminded John of all the deeds that were being done, you see, the blind they do see, and the deaf do hear, and the lame walk, and the dead are raised. And in this is joy. So we need to remember to tell our stories of triumph in the middle of fear and desperation. Because the kingdom of God has come near and nothing nothing can stop it now now you've been given ribbons this morning once again and I'd ask that you take a couple minutes and just think about the things that bring you joy in your pursuit of finding Jesus. And then when you're ready, 
I would invite you to come forward once again and attach those things that bring you joy to this framework that already holds prayers for peace, hopes, dreams of a faith community. And today we add our pursuits of joy.